This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Take your research to the next level with Interactive Brokers' redesigned Fundamentals Explorer. Fundamentals Explorer provides comprehensive worldwide fundamental data to all IBKR clients at no cost. More than 30,000 companies are covered worldwide with over 300 data points per company and over 80 sources for news wires and reports. The Fundamentals Explorer lets you deep dive, I mean, just really get into hundreds of data points covering historical trends and industry comparisons, key ratios, forecasts, ratings, ownership, and more. You can see the whole picture. It's really cool because it gives you access to things that maybe you weren't able to see before. It also now includes a securities lending dashboard that provides complimentary and premium security lending analytics. Use daily short sale data on thousands of securities worldwide to generate trade ideas, gauge short sentiment, and evaluate your portfolio from a different angle. Find data faster, add depth to your trading analysis, and compare beyond plain numbers. Better research, better decisions. Visit IBKR.com. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Inflation, well, maybe stagflation. Surging unprofitable stocks. A bit of a deja vu here. And... Well, the AI fever rolls on. And our guest today, Wesley Gray of Alpha Architect. We're going to have a good show. All this and much more on episode number 856 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Very good day to you, and markets are on a roll. Andrew Horowitz here. How are you? It's a pleasure to be with you today. And, of course, each and every week when we talk about all things related to finance and investments and everything in between. And it's been a great couple of weeks. Can't deny it, right? I mean, a couple of little bumps in the road. But, in fact, if you look at those bumps in the road and you consider how the recovery from there, you got to say there's some pretty good tires on that car. We're talking about the markets, of course, and looking at how they reacted with regard to the performance in the face of all these different things that could otherwise be very difficult to absorb. I mean, if you remember back in the day, there, there, was, there, was that, uh, there was that clown that you would punch with the sand on the bottom, and it was, it was like a blow-up balloon. You punch it, come right back. Come punch it, come right back. That's like this market. seems that right now there's an incredible appetite for stocks, and that's a good thing. Can't, can't complain about that. And um, I, I think one of the things I was thinking about when I looked at actually some of the performance was, you know, this is actually uh, broadening out to a degree, but also we're seeing that many of the stocks that are doing well are, are, are highly rewarded. The areas that people really want to be in and thinking about them for the future are doing really well. And specifically, I was looking and taking a look at a, at a 
performance, and, and I wanted to really look at a, a relatively short period of time with regard to the equities inside of the TDI managed growth strategy. And this is an area where we focus on individual stocks, right? And obviously what I'm going to talk about is just an abbreviated list for the sake of time. And, um, you know, the reality is that I don't want you also thinking, well, this is, you know, all there is. It's it's not necessarily fully representative of the entire portfolio, but I got to tell you, some of these we talked about on DH Unplugged and, and some of the names that are moving, like a thing like Toast, for example, which you probably used if you've dined out recently. It's one of these point of serve uh, point of sale and point of service devices that provides for a a great operational benefit for restaurants large and small as a cost factor to it of course and that's where toast makes their money it's not just a simple mobile credit card station but that stock came out with earnings they did some laying off management is really refocusing on profitability and that is something that's really important to consider stock was up 15% on Friday or so and you look at um, some of the other areas, the things that aren't doing as well, where management maybe hasn't been able to cut and do what they can. For example, a company like Yeti that we own on the short side. Well, that uh, kerplunked after earnings. And when we look at what happened there, well, I think it was all about the cost factors and the cost of materials. And that that's a big problem. I also talked about like a company that we've been tracking for some time. You've probably... I would think seen it on shelves like Celsius, which Pepsi has been buying a lot of recently or had been. And what's happening is there is the opportunity and the thought that maybe there's going to be a fold in it one time in the future. Who knows? I don't know. But they are taking a stake in it and it is very popular. And this is an area of the market that does have its, I would say, ebbs and flows when it comes to the energy drink market. But I think they came in right at the right time. And I, I've had them. I think they're delicious. So, and, and you can't look over the fact that like other other positions that we own, of course, like an Nvidia and Microsoft and and uh, and Meta, for example. I mean, core holdings of ours, they seem like they're getting more and more love every single day, even with the. And I would even say, so far as when we see them go down in value for a few days or a day or so, it's almost like, oh wow, they're on sale. I, I would say that. There is some concern, and I would say that also you have to be on your toes right now for the potential that valuations are lofty in certain areas. But I need to tell you something. I mean, all of this that is making me from getting really excited about, oh, you know, we're going to double from here concept, right? That whole thing about just, you know, being totally, ah, got to get in right now because of some of the overbought conditions and some of the things that are going on in the markets, the irrational exuberance, if I may borrow a phrase, is starting to creep in once again. We saw things like Children's Place last week, right, go from $9 to $37 in three days. And this after the acknowledgement that this company is in dire straits, not doing well. Reminds me of AMC and GameStop days. We all remember those. And what is most confusing to a lot of people is what's going on with bond yields that are creeping higher and the inflation reports we saw with CPI and PPI, and both those were hotter than expected. And the markets were kind of like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, my gosh. But uh, not really. The first was kind of a, not as much of a yawn as the second one, 
first, you know, CPI came out was, was a bit of a yawn. And I think to a degree, that's good and bad. Definitely has both sides. I mean, and that led me to think about something. Because again, I talk to a lot of people each and every week. And I get, I get a, a pulse of what's going on out there. And, and let's call this section a bit of a PSA right now, just for a moment, for all of you out there that cannot bring yourselves to doing what you know you need to do in the future, uh, now for the future, I should say, and that's invest in yourself, in your portfolio for the future because you're frozen, you're paralyzed. You know who you are. You know that you're just like, oh, man, it's just not the right time to invest. And that is a saying and comment and a thought that has permeated your psyche for years. And I know there's people listening right now that's like, oh, yeah, that's me. And I'm not going to tell anybody. Fortunately, I have my headphones on. I don't want to talk about it. I'm a little, a little bit maybe embarrassed by it. But the truth is that I just can't bring myself to do anything about it because I have this fear. And the fear is that as soon as I am going to invest, the market is going to crash. I know it. Now, you probably also think at the same time that the sun comes up when you open your eyes in the morning. No, the world does not revolve around you, nor does the market revolve around what you're doing, nor does it care what you're doing. But each and every time that you probably said, hey, the market's going to crash if I invest right now, and then some time goes by, you know, maybe two, three months, you don't invest. All of a sudden, the market's down 10%. You're like, I knew it. I knew it. Of course, I was right. But then two things. One, what'd you do about it? Wasn't the whole idea that when it comes down, you're going to invest, but then you're like, well, it's going to come down more. I'm not investing now. Of course, it's going to be the end of this. But meanwhile, if you back it all up for a second and you think about, well, I could have been investing all that time it was going up. It was up 15% and then only take, took back 10%. You'd still be ahead of the game. So if you're sitting there all happy pappy on a nice pile of cash for a long time now and you're thinking, what should I do? What's going on? How am I going to deal with this? Maybe you should do what some people do when they diet. Because you know what? The reasons, the rationales that you think that are right are right because you're the only one that is making reference to them and looking over them. But when you actually get someone who you're accountable to, you're accountable to a coach, dietitian, um, you know, someone who can be there as your advocate, telling you the things to do or doing the things for you that you know you should do, but you just can't do. If you can't do them on your own, get somebody to help you. I can't stress this enough right now in a time that is really a interesting time of where we are overall with regard to where you are for your future. I talked about this once. I'll bring it back. You don't want the 30-year-from-now future you looking back and saying, damn, was that other guy dumb? Look at all I could have had if just I did this. Is Amazon going to double, triple, quadruple from here? I don't know. But you know what? We don't have to be that fancy. We don't have to go out and, and, and necessarily find the one stock that is going to do this or that. And uh, by the way, if you would have held Amazon from the beginning, there were plenty, plenty of times where there were 50 and 60% drawdowns. You would have had to hold on. Could you have done that? Maybe you've had this coach or a trainer that was pushing you and telling you and helping you and giving you ideas and doing things. If you've ever done work with a personal trainer, you know that they show you things like, wow, that's, an, that's a great exercise. 
that I never thought of on my own. Go out there, find somebody to work with that can align with what you're doing, how you're doing it. And if, in fact, you're, you're still stuck on the idea that, yeah, but they're going to put me all in the market, it's going to crash because I'm in it that day, there's plenty of ways to do dollar-cost averaging. I've talked about that ad nauseum over the years, but I can't stop because it's so important. Opportunistically investing both on a time base and um, on a price basis over time to get you in, you know, the one foot in, one foot out, making sure that you can actually do that. I think this is, it's really important to me continually stress this because I can tell you that I know people that we talked about 10 years ago about this. And today it's a thank you. Glad we did that. So that's my PSA for the day. I'm going to get to our guest in just a second. But first we're going to talk about interactive brokers because I want to talk about the ability for you to access a vast selection of global fixed income securities at interactive brokers. Specifically, what is the bond marketplace? You can search their deep availability of over 1 million bonds and use IBKR's bond search tool to compare available yields against those of other brokers. IBKR has no markups or built-in spreads and low, fully transparent commissions on bonds. IBKR displays the highest bids and the lowest offers received from the electronic venues that they access. Pretty cool. Clients can also interact with each other by placing bids and offers online to execute their trades. I want you to learn more at IBKR.com slash bonds. And our guest today is Wes Gray. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He served as captain in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, he graduated and earned an MBA and PhD in finance from the University of Chicago, where he studied under Nobel Prize winner Eugene Fama. Probably heard that name. He took a job in Philly and worked uh, with a finance uh, professor at Drexel. He's uh, he, 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 he just an incredible amount of work and writing and information and very well respected in the industry for the things that he's, he has done. He's contributed to multiple industry publications, regularly speaks at Professional Investor Group. We just missed each other in Miami. If we would have known each other was there, we probably would have said hello at an event. He's he's a published author with several different books, works with Alpha Architect. He wrote the DIY Financial Advisor, all sorts of great things. And I'm really happy to have you here today, Wes. So thanks for joining me. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, honored to be here. So we got a lot to talk about. Uh, Alpha Architect, want to talk a little bit about that. Um, sure. Why don't we start there? Let's just start there. Uh, and tell me, what because I think that's really of interest to to our listeners. Tell us what yeah. what it is. What do you do? What what what's what's the brainchild behind all this? And, and what does it give yeah. to the investor? Yep. So uh, we started in 2010, so almost 14, 15 years ago. And literally Alpha Architects, I used to be a professor and I used to write blogs about academic research before <laughs> that was even a thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I got cold called by a billionaire, uh, literally, who said, hey, I read your blog. I read your dissertation. Like, can we talk? And I was like, well, yeah, I'll talk. And this is while I, was a, I started being a prof uh, 2010. And basically, that's kind of what started Alpha Architect was this consulting deal with this huge family office. They later later seated us with uh, 50 million in in this product that's based on a book I wrote called Quantitative Value. But anyways, the the basic point of Alpha Architect uh, still is and always has been the mission statement is to empower investors through education. 
because we're we were not distribution people. We were PhDs and geeks, and we're like, you know what? We're not like salespeople, but we're gonna sell how we know how to sell. Let's just talk about research, talk about geeky quant finance crap, and maybe we'll attract a tribe, and they might be interested. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. You know, now we got well, our whole platform probably almost got eight or nine billion dollars in total. But um, you know, obviously that worked out. Just that simple mission of empower investors to education, and then what do we actually do? Is what we do. Well, we do a few things, but on the ETF side, we do concentrated factors. So Fama French on steroids, I guess, is one way to describe <laughs> it. And then on the SMA side, it's we have this very esoteric uh, SMA strategy in. It's called 1042 rollovers. It's tied to ESOPs. It's basically like an intricate tax thing where business owners can essentially sell their business to, which is usually owned by the employees. And then they get a one-time opportunity to take those proceeds tax-free, invest them in what, what amounts to effectively like an S&P 500 clone. And, and we manage all this process. Uh, Okay, most so. of that is probably well over my listeners' heads. I'll tell you right now. You, you mentioned a yeah, lot of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, all like, good. So, so, so you, yes, you are geeking out. Uh, so, so there's a problem on that. Let's talk about just some of the acronyms. SMA. Yeah. Yep. So SMA stands for separately managed account. And if you're just some rich person or even a not rich person, you're like, hey, I want you to manage this and trade this. You just, it, they, that's usually referred to as an SMA or separately managed account. And ESOP. ESOP is an employee stock ownership program. This is a program set up by the U.S. government to basically encourage companies to share the wealth in some sense uh, within a company. So there's all these like tax incentives to give ownership uh, in, in your company through what they call an ESOP. You don't have to do you a kind full, of thing. You don't have like, to sell the whole yeah. thing. You can sell part of it, right? Yeah. yeah just part of it. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and then, so that that's, yeah, you just, and it's a good thing. It's good for society, what have you. And then, then we do another thing tied to ESOPs, which is even more esoteric. It, like I said, it's called a 1042 rollover. Uh, and 1042 just references the section of the IRS code. So, because there, there's there are different ones like uh, 10, 1031 tax for 1030, yep. 1031 tax for exchange yep. for real estate. Um, yep. So, obviously, this comes under that we'll call it the genre of yes, specialized uh, sales without taxes and rolling and all that. What, yep. When we look at the other th things that you do in terms of, um, you know, the ETFs, let's go over that real quickly. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah, on the ETF side, we do two components to that business. We're, we're an asset manager in the sense that we develop our own intellectual property, our own strategies, and you could go buy some alpha architect ETFs. And then the other side is we're a full stack, just integrated infrastructure provider. So let's say you wanted to start an ETF and you mm -hmm. wanted to call it Andrew's awesome ETF, but you don't want to deal with all the compliance, legal trading, and just the mountains of BS that uh, <laughs> you have to deal with. Yeah, you're just like, hey, can I go buy a shovel from uh, Wes and his team over there? That, that's that's the other component of the ETF business we do, but specifically focus on the Alpha Architect side. Uh, in that per, uh, portion in particular, we do uh, it's just they're called factors, and we you know we focus on value and momentum factors. And value. Well, those is, are two, two. First of all, those are diametrically opposed. Yes, yes, they're totally different. Two religions, but we like them both. Um, 
And as you're probably aware, like the ETF is a tax efficient way to, to deliver these strategies that have a lot more turnover, just, just through the ETF, you can basically avoid capital gain distributions. So we do all of them, value, momentum, even though momentum's higher turnover. And I'm just a big fan of, of just diversifying. I, I, I'm not religious about investment strategies. Like some people are like, I only do value. Other people are like, I only do technical momentum. I'm just, you know, I like all the religions and I like all the good ideas. Let's just cherry pick the ones that we find the best and do all of them. Um, so it's interesting because I mean, I remember that. years ago, uh, one of my first books that I read, one of the first, one, I think, it, I don't want to say it was one of the first books I read, but one of the first books that mm -hmm. sticks in my mind as a factor-based, I think you'll agree there's a factor-based mm -hmm. book, uh, which was uh, What Works on Wall Street. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, Jim's book, Jim's, O'Shaughnessy. Yeah, yeah, Jim O'Shaughnessy. And I was like, wow. First of all, it was really thick. And I thought it was like, wow, you know, that, there's a lot going on. And what was fascinating about uh, how thick it was when you get into it was, oh my God, there's so many different things you could test for. Yes. And yes, that is a great book. Yes. I agree. He, Jim did a great service because, because all that research, all the things he talked about had been buried in academic journals for 50 years. And that book was just finally like, Hey, let's pull all this out of the archives into a nice cohesive book that normal people can read and understand. And I thought it was, it was excellent. I think if, I'm, if, I'm, if I remember correctly back then, I think the, if I, uh, I don't know if I'm thinking this, but it was, mm -hmm. I think the result was, Hey, if you just invested in small cap value, you're in great shape. That's what I remember something. Yeah. There was something about that in the book. Pretty much. You know, that pretty yeah. much. That has not been it. the and case lately. No, no. Small. Yeah. Generally, anything value related has sucked win hard, uh, <laughs> for, to say the least, for the last 10, 15 years. Um, you know, recently, ever since COVID, there's been a little bit of a bounce. But in general, it's, you know, I always say spy till you die. Um, it's just that's what it's all been. It's just U.S. mega cap overvalued has been the trade for the decade. Um, you know, I've been around a lot longer than you have, I think, okay, at least in the investment world. I remember yeah. when there was a time when value was like just, when you look at value and growth, there wasn't as much of a divergent, uh, as you would call a religion in one or the other, but just yeah. looking at the long-term results, value just was always better. Buy stuff cheap, yes. buy stuff cheap, yep. maybe get some dividends. And you looked at things like the mountain charts that American yep. funds put out back in the day. And you would say, oh, look at that mountain. But wait a second. If you didn't have the dividends, the mountain was just a hill. Yes. And and, yeah. and, and then you, you graduate into a time that, what you know, oh, we don't want anything like that. You know, oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, it's only technology, biotech. And then I think the, I think that in the last, dozen years, the, mm -hmm. the, the great um, bastardization of indexing, which has caused the bigger to get bigger, which has caused the bigger to get bigger, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, yep. right? Yep. You know, what do you think about that? I mean, is this the right well, way to, to track any of this? Yeah. Yes. I mean, so I, I actually started uh, back in the internet bubble uh, in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so I, I saw this rodeo the first time. Except that rodeo was a little bit different in the sense that there was just companies going to the moon, but they didn't have like margins backing it and like actually making money. And obviously that whole debacle blew up and then value went on an epic run and then, you know, all the history of it. Mm -hmm. and, and now we're at this new stage where 
like I, you're, you're probably referring like Mike Green's argument on how indexing is basically we're becoming essentially a, a, a flows market, not like a fundamental based market. Right. And I'm very, very much in tune with that just anecdotally and through my own experience, right? Like anything active, sell, anything passive, buy. And just intuitively, if you do that at massive scale, you know, Vanguard clicking the VWAP button on billions of dollars every second of the day. And then the active guys clicking mm -hmm. the VWAP sell on other shit every second of the day. Obviously, mm -hmm. it has an impact at the margin. That said, what muddies the waters on this whole thing, and this is why you can't really get a clear debate, I don't think anyone could, is the fundamental problem is a lot of these, like say, like Magnificent Sevens and what have you, the, the issue is they've actually delivered fundamentally, right? So, so yes, they've gone crazy. And yes, it certainly seems like there's a flows-based argument, especially on something like NVIDIA, which is just insane. Mm -hmm. um, however, they've also, unlike 99 in the bubble, go-go bubble days, like these guys are also making ass piles of free cash flow. Oh, so, ridiculous amounts of money, right, so, right. so that's the, you know, at the margin, I agree with the thesis that, the market is certainly more flows driven versus fundamental, but I, I don't think it's as completely all in on flows as maybe Mike would argue. I, I think there's a good portion of that, but I think fundamentals are still involved. Because they have, extent. you know, like for example, I mean, there's obviously a lot of factors. I'm not even suggesting mm -hmm. that we, we, we're going to, we're going to figure this all out right now, but you yeah. know, there's somewhere in between, right? In between yes. the equal weight and, and, and mm -hmm. market cap weight, somewhere in between that, seems to also make sense, right? You know, I where, think it does. Where yep. you have maybe, I don't know, let's just throw this out there as a total ridiculous just cop-out, mm -hmm. but 50% equal weight, 50% market cap weight, and that's your portfolio so that nothing gets too crazy out of hand. Yeah, I, so I think it depends. So I personally own, because I don't, I don't benchmark hug and I don't really care because it's my own money and I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Like I'm all in on our products, which are all equal weight construction. Because fundamentally, I think gravity does matter in the long game. And like, if I put all, you know, besides my wife getting pissed off, uh, but she doesn't even know what the stock market is really. Yeah, yeah. Like, Keep I just invest yeah. for like the 20 year horizon. Right. So if, if I have no benchmark hugging incentives, then I think market cap weighting is stupid because you're just buying a bunch of overpriced shit that yes, it could get more overpriced and it's very likely is going to do that. But at some point, if markets have any function, you know, things may revert, competition matters and stuff changes. And it just makes sense to be better diversified via like an equal weight or equal weight S type of construction. That said, that's not reality for most people, <laughs> including oh, course, me in my course. other part of my business. Right, like I have to care about benchmark yes. hugging because I don't want to get fired and it, people are humans. So in that case, I think your approach makes a ton of sense. Like, Hey, here's one bucket that's going to mirror like the market perfectly. You can look at that and feel happy. This is the other one that is probably makes more sense, but in the short run, you know, it could be a dog for a long time or what have you. I think I mean, that's this, 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 is, this also goes to the education of the investor. And I could tell you, um, and I'm going to tell everybody there right now something, and I'm, and I'm probably going to get a thumbs up from Wes on this. I would hope. But yeah, if you have you in your mind as an investor that you want to beat the S&P and you go into looking for opportunities to do so and you want to be with the S&P, stop looking and just buy the S&P and be done with it. 
Just be done with it. There's no, or the cues or something like that, yes. right? There's no reason yeah. to try to, you know, oh, I'm going to buy this stock, this stock, and it's going to beat, or I'm going to have this. You don't diversify. <laughs> I'm not suggesting yeah. this is a really way to go, go, but stop, stop, because you'll be in pain no matter what you do. Yes, I, I think for most people, you're going to get annihilated in frictional costs and taxes. And this is why Warren Buffett gives that general advice, like, hey, just, just stop it and just go buy the Vanguard fund for free. And it's very nice tax wrap. And you're, you're going to, that's probably be better off for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's very sound advice. And then I always tell folks though, especially younger investors, because I had the same problem uh, younger when you don't have a lot of money or capital. I mean, honestly, like mistakes, they suck, but it's not like you lost, you know, your family's wealth and now you're, wife's pissed off and you can't feed your kids. So that's actually a great time to just learn and maybe be engaged. Just make sure you don't actually believe that you're good at stock picking. Like always be humble about it. But I, I actually encourage people to like actually go try to be engaged in the markets, take their, you know, just if you like it, you know, try it out then to at least figure out the game uh, as opposed to later on in life when you actually have money you know, I know a lot of people that's just, I'm like, I live in Puerto Rico where people don't pay taxes on capital gains. Mm. And so when you, when you lift the tax burden, it magically attracts even worse behavior. So it's like everyone down here is a day trader. I'm just like, oh no. Right. Well, because now uh, there's no fees too. No fees, <laughs> yeah, no tax. Exactly. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Right. And now it's just total debauchery uh, <laughs> on the, on the behavioral uh, sure. side of things. Right. Um, yeah, is it like there's a there's this old like there's this common logic that people have. You hear, hear it all the time, weirdly, from like the efficient market people. They're like, oh, well, you know, frictional costs are so low now. It's basically you can trade for free. The market is insanely efficient now because it's so easy to get information and trade. And like in my mind, I think actually it's the opposite. Now people like any degenerate can go on the Internet and go read a lot and convince themselves they know a lot about something and they can go do it for free, which means like there's no longer constraints on trading and being an idiot. So I actually think like the, it's, the markets are going to get more inefficient with this ecosystem. And by the way, right? your, your just, commentary about somebody going on and reading a lot and understanding what they're doing or the opposite is also true. Somebody not knowing anything, not reading anything, not having any idea and trading, gambling, which is yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. You know what? Anybody can make... You know, if you were betting on the Super Bowl and you had that yeah. bet on whether or not Kelsey and Taylor Swift were going to get engaged if the Chiefs won, God bless you if you want to play that kind of deal. I don't even have fun. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, but understand yes. what that is. Are you going to bet your uh, retirement? What I mean by that is your dinners yeah. on Saturday nights once you turn 70, whether you can go out or you can eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in are you going to bet that for the rest of your life from 70 onward? Right? Yes, ex exactly. Like you, know? you gotta, yeah, we, we call it, we usually recommend people. Cause I also understand it's, it's very hard to tell people, Hey, yes, that's fun and entertaining, but just go buy some Vanguard funds and call it a day. Nobody actually can do that unless you're like superhuman, like, you know, crazy discipline, which is unrealistic. So we usually recommend like what I call like the adventure equity or fun bucket, where yep. it's just like, hey, the 90%, just give it to someone else or do it like the clean, easy way. And then, yes, with the 10% capital, just consider it like your casino fun entertainment. 
at least you contain the damage. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's a very good approach for a lot of people. And go either way. Let's talk about quantitative investing. Quant. So we have a process yeah. that that I try to bridge all three areas. It's it's a mm -hmm. techna and quanta. It's a funda. We call it uh, mm -hmm. funda techna quanta because there's different components of this, right? And some yeah. some are are for some people. Some people are like oh. I don't care what the I don't care what the company's name is. I don't care what they do, what sector they're yeah. in, or you know, even if they have a discovery or not, or frankly, if they're even earning any money. There's others that are like, yeah. wait, you're, you're talking that you like what the voodoo charting, really? The, the the paintings on a screen? What does that tell you? Yeah, and I think it's kind of fabulous because when I first started out, by the way, I, I was always like, mm -hmm. yeah, charting is kind of like that is kind of weirdly voodoo-y. That's you know, the yeah. Whole, but then the more you sure. learn about it, you're like, oh boy, that makes so much sense. Just a Understand yeah. now, now, maybe not uh, uh, solely, but you know everything about it is like well, it is a picture of what sentiment is and the culmination of all things. If really, as my friend Brian Shannon says, it's only price mm -hmm. that pays, right? That if you look at yeah. the 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 result of all the known information, what does that result in? That results in what someone is willing to pay for the stock, right? I mean, isn't that just yes. as simple as it gets? Yes, price is truth in markets. It's right. just an undeniable fact. It takes people a long time to get there sometimes. Um, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I like just so you know, my I started off as a fundamental Bible thumping Ben Graham, Warren Buffett stock picker, mm. and 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 I remember I started that at the height of '99, and then it worked wonderfully, right? Because if you you sure. probably remember like internet stocks blew up and like I wasn't there in 95 to get egg on the face for four or five years. I was there at the tail end of it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was a genius and you threw a rock at a small cap value stock. You're going to make 30% a year. I, at the time I didn't know that I thought I was a genius. Um, and I'm going to tell you the rest of the story, how it all ended poorly, but I, I eventually became like a quant. Cause I was like, you know what? That's a bunch of bullshit. And I, can't even control my own behavior. So I'm just going to use systems. And then once you start using systems, reading research, you realize like, Hey, it's not only about stock pick and fundamentals, but like technicals, this, you know, voodoo chart reading, whatever you want to call it, like that shit works too. And we should at least think about it and yeah. build processes that include that. Cause why not? If it works, who cares if it's not stock picking based on Ben Graham's book, you know, we're here to try to make money, you know, I mean, the fact not, is, not like well, the fact yeah, is you would not that's the bottom line. Anybody who was putting paper to pencil for the last 20 years, well, not 20 years, 20 yeah. years minus five. Okay. Let's just go back five or so. Maybe, maybe 10 yeah. would not yeah. have owned Amazon. You would not have owned Amazon. Yes. There's yeah. no way you, agree. you would, you would not own Tesla. Yeah. None of these things. You have and to have maybe, maybe, involved. maybe you don't NVIDIA cause it did have a product for a long time, you know, but, yeah. but, but then you'd be like, Oh, semis, semis are all over the place. You don't Microsoft yeah. probably, you don't Apple and all that, of course, but there is a litany yep. of stocks of names that you would have not been involved in, you know? Um, and, and by the way, stocks that you would have been involved in like a Disney or, yep. a, or a GE maybe, or whatever it is, you know, that look good on paper, could have gotten yeah. smacked. Talk to me about what is quantitative investing in your, in, in yeah, your yeah. definition. So, yeah. So we, we have, again, we have whole books dedicated to each of these, but I'll just do it real simply. So th there's quantitative value, which is simply trying to buy the cheapest, highest quality stocks, right? It's all in on old school value investing, but done with a computer. It literally is going to get just, it's not this simple, but pretty damn close. 
10% cheapest stuff in the market, like all the dirt balls everybody hates. And then amongst those really cheap stocks, who's the highest quality? That's it. That's essentially the essence of that algorithm. And I'm assuming that and algorithm has to come up with earnings, though. It's not a negative earner, right? No, no, you have, of course, yes. Oh, so we not use, of course, because uh, not everybody says of course. That's actually a good point, <laughs> yeah. yes. So so we do not do book to market. Like most people that do quote unquote, you know, quantitative value, they're using book to market, which never made any sense to me because like I can have a, a lot of book, but I could still be losing my ass with respect to like earnings and cash flow. So we, we look at operating income to enterprise value which is, you know, it's just revenue minus COGS minus SG&A. Like, what do you actually earn over like the enterprise value, which is, you know, what do you got to pay for this thing? Mm -hmm. So yes, to even be included, you have to obviously make money. And then a lot of the quality metrics are looking at like, well, you're paying down debt, you're buying back stock. Do you have year year like improvements in your earnings? Like, just, you know, good old fashioned, just what any fundamental investor would consider quality. Um, th that's what that system does. However, it does not look at growth opportunities. It's it's not trying to project, you know, uh, what the street's saying, because the whole point of why basically buying dirtbag cheap stocks that are high quality, why that works is obviously they're cheap for a reason. In the next few years, you know, it's probably not great. It's like I'm buying Kohl's when I, there's Amazon. Like clearly right. Amazon's got a better well, business. What you're hoping for is a turnaround story there. Yes, it's a mean reversion yep. trade. Exactly, mm -hmm. it's it's a convergence uh, system, mm -hmm. and 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 you know it doesn't work all the time. I I'm a believer in it. Uh, I think it works over the long haul, but it's not a panacea. It's just one thing that we like to do. And then the other thing we like to do is basically exact opposite: throw fundamentals as far away from this algorithm as you can possibly do, and just focus on what your buddy was talking about price yeah. and momentum. Yeah. Like that's all we care about. And that's obviously the quantitative momentum system, which, uh, and you, you mentioned like Dorsey Wright stuff, like mm -hmm. it's very similar. It's not the exact, like we're much more academic, uh, research grounded, but they effectively get to the same damn thing. It's just looking at like basically past momentum. So like, Hey, who's been the winners over the last 12 months. And then, and then you kind of want to understand like the path of how they got there. Like you don't want to get the line that's like zigging and zagging or going up 100% in a day. We, we, we call it frog in the pan momentum, but basically like smoother, lower volatility, high momentum is what yeah, we're take looking out for. The, take out the outliers of, of, the, yeah. of, the, of, the, uh, of the move. Exactly. Yeah. But, it's, but in the end, it's basically just buying winners is the simplest way to explain it. And, and there's, as you know, there's a million ways you could go about doing that. And I, I frankly think they're all about the same, but that's what the-, the And by the way, I think that's really hard for people to do sometimes. A lot of people are are trained oh, yeah. to, you know, you've heard this this thing, why would you buy a stock that's full price? Why, you know, why, why would you buy oh, a yeah. shirt that's full price? Exactly. If there's a shirt yeah. on the rack, wait for it to go on sale, then you buy it. You know, and then yes. that could be. The, the theory of cheap can get cheaper and expensive can get more expensive. We've all heard of that. Mm -hmm. But the question yep. is that I I fully understand uh, buying on sale. There's no question about yeah. that. But Everybody some, does. But sometimes, you know what? You go to a nice dinner, you pay full price, and you get what it's worth. You get what, it's worth what you get. Yes, 100%. And, and I think what people, like there's a reason why there's like 1,000 value funds and there's really maybe 10 or 20, like just an ETF space, momentum funds. Momentum is just not intuitive to people. Like why would I, why do I want to buy a stock at its 52-week high? Like that's just insane to people. 
until you really start thinking about it, right? Like value in the end is the fear trade, right? Mm -hmm. If you think in terms of fear and greed, like you're going to go buy shit that everyone hates. You know, it's the, you know, boarded up townhome. You got to go into the ghetto to buy it, but yeah, it's cheap. So if it gentrifies around the neighborhood, you'll make some money. Like everyone kind of intuitively gets that kind of a trade. And then, but then there's the greed trade. Like there is a thing called shiny rocks. There is a thing called momentum and momentum begets momentum because it attracts a lot of things, right? Like, like the very fact that you have a great stock price that's moving, you know, strongly in itself can arguably lower your cost of capital because it's now it's easier to raise money. It's easier to buy your competitors. Like there's actually fundamental benefits to having high momentum and high price action. And people, just, but for whatever reason, people just intuitively, they can't do it. Like, you know, right. that's very, why. And, and, I, and yeah. Actually, it's a little bit easier and can be quantified. I mean, I another friend of mine, oh, yeah. my, you know, Michael Koval, uh with Trend, yeah, trend Following, which is, you yep. know, this is it. I mean, you want to call it Trend yeah. Following, you want to call it Momentum Trade, whatever you yeah, want Yeah, that's his baby. You know, yep. the bottom line is I've really had a hard time for years understanding exactly what Trend Following meant. And like, uh, I've always mm -hmm. asked him, I, uh, can you please just tell me what's the trigger and what are you looking at? And, and yeah. it's funny when I went and I spent some time with Dorsey Wright uh, last week, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you know, that makes a lot of sense, actually, that whether yeah. or not it's exactly right or right, but how they go about the proce process, process. Yes. I was yes. like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's all about the process. Like, weirdly enough, um, I actually know a lot of the, the folks that at least used to run their ETFs. They had, they had a fund that they, we had this fund called QMOM and it tracked what it was, I think it was DWAQ or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was the greatest fund ever. I talked to the PM. He's like, Oh, I read, he actually read my book, quantitative momentum. And I would, I would compare like that fund against QMOM. I'm like, man, that's like our biggest competitor. Those guys totally got it figured out. Like we're doing like very similar things. And like, I think it was Invesco or PowerShares. They actually liquidated. I'm like, why, why? are you guys liquidating your a best moment? Like, it was like, uh, yeah, they didn't have enough AUM, yeah. which, you know, it had like, I don't know. I mean, I thought it was plenty. It was like 75 mil, but, you know, those huge shops, like if it doesn't right. have a billion dollars, it's a waste and of time. And by the time. way, AUM is assets under management for those people that are tracking yeah. all the acronyms that we're talking about today. <laughs> yes, but it was a great product. Um, I thought it was a great process, but like, as you know, in our business, like, like we try to just, we'll, we'll never close anything. Uh, but a lot of the big product manufacturers that they're just, you know, siphon through the the greatest, latest and greatest thing they could sell people. Sure. Um, even a great product like they had, like a Dorsey Wright fund, if it's just for whatever reason, it's not in the right market cycle and it doesn't raise money, they'll just bomb it. Yeah. Um, which Start is all crazy. over again with a different wrapper. Let's just- uh, Yeah, yeah, let, exactly. Let, let's different go, pitch. well, it's like, like the old hedge fund, right? Oh, we didn't make our 20%. By the way, we're closing down. We're opening up another one though. Uh, we yeah, yeah, we're going to re reset our watermarks. Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, that's what they do also. If they, they they can convince people to get into the newest one, they say it was like the old one, but then they don't have to show those two or three bad years of performance that come along with. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, if you look right now, and there, I've asked Morningstar if they could try to create technology to make this more transparent, but you can go look at iShares. iShares has relaunched and folded like 10 value funds in the past, I don't know, seven, eight years now, because the idea is you just want to get the one that finally gets launched when value goes on a run, get rid of the other ones. Cause you don't, or don't market them. Cause you don't want to see their, their bad history. And then if you just happen to have like a value fund that was started, for example, after like COVID 
it's going to be amazing, right? And I mean, it's crazy. But the problem is, there's no transparency. To well, the Meb Faber again. I keep on. on I'm doing a lot of name dropping here. I apologize today. Yeah. But Meb Faber talks no, about that good. a lot, right? He talks about the birth yes. death model. He says, okay, you like look at this and look at the performance. Look at this, but yes. you have to include, you know, and that's never in a lot of the peer it's performance. Nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nowhere, and it's incredibly hard to get that data. And you can do that in academic. They have this thing called the CRISP uh, survivor free uh, database, mm-hmm. but that, obviously that's very expensive. But, but when I've actually asked like the actual commercial providers, the answer is always no. And, and the, the reason's obvious it's who pays the bills. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, if you believe the whole theory of like, you know, Pfizer and, you know, corrupting like CNN or whatever that, uh, tinfoil theory, which I'm actually a, a fan of, like, hey, just follow the money and, and you'll find the result. And I, and I think the same thing there. Like, that's like a pretty easy thing. Well, to who had the last laugh there? Pfizer shareholders did not benefit from what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they know? benefited for a while when they made it was $30 good. billion. Dollars. I'm still scratching uh, my head how they didn't, you know, seemingly their shares crumbled uh, after yeah. that. Crumbled. Just like, yeah, oh, yeah. And, and what would have Pfizer shares been if they didn't have COVID, it you would think, yeah, maybe bankrupt. I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I know it would have been crazy. Yeah, that was like a shot in the arm, like no other. Let's just uh, um, let's move over to factors for a second. I want to kind of make the most yeah, of our time sure. here. Tell me about factors now. What I want to tell me is not mm-hmm. about factors because I think people are like, uh, what's that? I mean, I need to, I need the yeah. the ABC definitions and how this works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so all the best way to there's also obviously like a geeky literature related to factors and how these are like proxies for risk and all this stuff. But in the end, a factor is if you just think, what is just a screening system that targets different characteristics that I find useful? So, for example, you know, I, I as an investor think that you know cheapness matters and quality matters. Great, we're going to create. QVAL, where you're just going to get the 10% cheapest and buy the highest quality. And that could be called the value quality factor fund, right? But you could do this on anything. And really, if you just want to think of factors in simple terms, it's just you're you're basically sorting securities on different characteristics that you believe shape risk and return. And you just do that systematically. So and, I mean, and you, in, a way, yeah. in a way, Jim O'Shaughnessy's book was uh, yeah. what factors work on Wall Street. Exactly, hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's just the jargony term for screen, fancy screens that hopefully beat the market over the long haul. Right. And uh, there, there, but there are some factors. I mean, you could say that the momentum is a factor, right? You could say yeah, value is a factor. Yeah, it is a factor. It is. Yep. It is. It is very. I just want to state that I'm glad you mentioned that. It is yes. kind of hip and cool to use the word factors. Yeah. It's. It's. Well, it used to be. Uh, back when they were working the last five years, uh, it became less hip and cool. Uh, <laughs> but, but yes, momentum is 100% a factor. And that, that's even what they call an academic research. It's, it's actually arguably the best factor. Uh, I mean, it's not arguably, I think it is the best factor just on the straight up data Va- values, a factor, quality is a factor, low vol is a factor, size is a factor. They see any, anything that, you know, you would think of like a characteristic that, People talk about related to stock picking. You could call that a factor if you and wanted you to do the fancy. These. I mean, version. for example, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, here's a here's a misnomer. I think most yeah. people, when you think about momentum, I don't know about you, they think of mm-hmm. tech, right? I mean, is it kind of like yes? Ah, yeah. What's what what's momentum? Oh, it's the tech. It's the, it's the greatest tech, or what? Or even biotech yes. for that matter. Yeah. You know? The fact is so, that doesn't have to be the case. 
You could have 100%. a a I mean a stringent momentum factor model slash uh filtering screening scoring system that yes. that all of a sudden it's like wait look at all the energy because those yeah. are the ones that are actually performing as long as the universe is there right as long as you don't constrain yes. the universe you can have i don't care you can have maybe consumer staples i don't know why you know what i mean all of a sudden people yeah. have a you know need to have a run of kleenex and you know we have yes. that going on so momentum doesn't necessarily have to be now of late it is of yeah. course but well, it, and yeah, to your point, it, it's, there's two, like momentum, there's, they can either be the seasoning, like A1, or it could be like the filet mignon, right? Mm -hmm. If you just go unconstrained, sort on the winners in the stock market, in recent memory, it's mostly tech. But you could also say, I don't want my, my filet mignon to just be pure momentum. Maybe I want to start off with value and like, and I, and I'm going to focus on the energy patch. But then within that, I could do momentum. Right. I could be like the A1 sauce on the on the filet mignon, but mm -hmm. the filet mignon's not momentum, it's value, but I'm adding, you know, A1 momentum sauce on it. So you you can use momentum in many contexts. Actually, and to your you point, can go a little bit further. Anything. You could even you know, mm -hmm. use momentum or best performers and make sure and mandate that you have an uh we'll say we'll say equal, but maybe a little weighted uh of mm -hmm. every sector representative and Utilize only the yep. best of those stocks within it because you still you could have a let, let, let's pick, let's pick on let's pick on uh, let's pick on energy for a second. You could have the worst performance of of, of any sector is energy, right? Mm -hmm. But there's yep. going to be a better stock of all stocks inside of there. Hundred percent. So you got and, it, and therefore you have a momentum, a diversified uh, momentum strategy that maybe is not going to be as much as the pure momentum, but at least it's mm -hmm. diversified. So you got kind of a broad base move. So you don't get just totally yeah, yeah. smash faced on something. When, when yeah, yeah, no, to, exactly. You know? Yeah. The, yeah. The, like sec, they call them like sector industry adjusted strategies where, where that, yeah, that's also a great way you can use momentum. I'm sure, it, I'm sure there's tool, an acronym for that toolkit. too, isn't there? Is there an acronym? Sector. Uh, yeah. Usually they call like, uh, well, m minimize tracking error or tracking error, optimize portfolios. There's a bunch of geek terms yeah, for tops. what you're talking about. Yeah. Track tra tops yeah. and bops and bops. It's like the government. Our, our yeah. industry is like the government. We have to have a catchy acronym for everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I used to be in the service back in the day in the military. And it, that's even worse. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, there's an acronym for like, the toilet. Uh, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> right. Right. But you're right. We have a lot of jargon lot uh, of in, in our industry. Yeah. But that's like a lot of industries are like that. So let's just talk about now, uh, if, if we have time, the, can we just talk about and really hone in on mm -hmm. the the modern day? When I say modern day, really last five years, I'm going to call it, of, of the real awareness. It, it's been before, but um, first, the ETFs versus mutual funds, the, the, the essentially the tax efficiency. There's still a big chasm, I think, in what some mutual funds can do. Well, not do, but what what what's out there, what's available with mutual funds in the active space, particularly fixed income uh, versus ETS. But uh, can you explain to people, because I don't think a lot of people understand um, in, in their uh, terminology, they can understand what's the tax differential between um, yeah. S&P 500 Mutual fund and S and P five hundred ETF. Well, how about we step back and I'll give you a way oversimplified example of how an ETF deals with the active trade and a mutual fund. Okay, and then that'll highlight everything, right? 
So, so pretend, and again, this would be oversimplified just to highlight the point and why effectively ETFs get to cheat legally, of course, on the tax thing. So let's say you buy Microsoft for a dollar and it goes to a hundred dollars and you want to now switch from uh, tech to energy. You want to go buy Exxon or something, right? So if you're in a mutual fund or a managed account or your personal account or really whatever, anything except for an ETF, you have to go, if you want to affect this transaction, you got to sell Microsoft, get a $99 capital gain liability, you know, i.e. pay a boatload of tax, take the $100 of cash and go buy Exxon. That sucks. In ETF, it does not work like that. What an ETF is going to do is trade through baskets, which is a non-taxable transaction. Well, we'll I'm just going to keep this simple. You're basically going to exchange out Microsoft shares which is non-taxable and in-kind create in Exxon shares, non-taxable. So now I can rebalance through baskets and get rid of Microsoft and own Exxon and not pay any tax. I get to keep compounding. So ETFs are essentially for many instruments to include bonds and specifically equities. It's, it's like an IRA on steroids, right? You get to compound as much as you want, and then you only pay the tax when you sell the ETF. So that is, leaps and bounds better in so many ways versus any other wrapper. However, now that one understands the mechanism of what ETFs do and how they benefit from a tax perspective, let's get to your question directly. S&P ETF versus mutual fund ETF. Well, S&P rarely trades, right? You don't, you kind of just own the stocks and you let them bebop around and you don't do a lot of transactions. So the marginal tax benefit of an ETF version of that versus a mutual fund is not huge, right? You're gonna get to save okay. probably 5%, 10% a year because there's just not a lot of activity. If you do an active strategy that has any element of turnover, the ETF, it's game over. Like it's almost a fiduciary breach to be putting your capital in anything but an ETF if it's specifically in equities or tactical, right? So anything where you can use this in-kind mechanism to basically avoid capital gain distributions, it's crazy to not use an ETF, which is why ETFs are dominating uh, on many fronts. I'll stop there if you had any questions on that. A couple of things. What about if I'm sure. an affluent dude with a mm -hmm. highly concentrated position in ABC stock? Is there yeah. some way to transfer? Now, there used to be exchange funds. Remember that whole? Yes. Yeah. Still, yep. still are. Still are. Yeah, um, there still are. But yep. but then you're kind of at the mercy of what everybody else wants to invest in. Yes. Right. Yes. So I have my Microsoft. I got my 10 million of Microsoft. You got your 10 million of, yep. of, of uh, and you can keep it technology, Apple. And, yep. uh, you know, Bobby has his uh, 10, $10 million of Amazon um, yeah. or whatever. And, and we put it in there and then the, there's no tax because it's commingled yeah. and we transfer it in and, and, yep. and, 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 and we do that. But what about if doing this with an ETF? Now, if so, I, how would I transfer Yes, in? So that we actually specialize in that. They're called 351 transactions. But unlike an exchange fund, which has a lot more constraints, there's like seven-year hold periods and all mm -hmm. kinds of issues right. we won't talk about here. It's That's where you can get rid of a single stock. The, you can do a tax-free conversion into an ETF with zero basis securities. However, the contributions have to be what they call diversified. So you can't take your Tesla stock and just start an ETF and then use this basket thing to go buy SP 500. The, it's basic, the basic constraints are simple. It's basically no securities over 25% of the contribution. And then essentially the top five stocks 
contributed, the the sum of those can't be more than 50%. So it's constrained, right? It's it's pretty good, but you would need to have like a, a quote unquote diversified basket of securities to be able to qualify for that tax free treatment of converting. So, so it's, here it's, I am. You know, I have I have I have Tesla. It's worth twenty five yeah. million dollars, and I have no basis. Let's let's Jack Dorsey. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. Jack Dorsey Roth IRA this conversation. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yep. Um, Perfect. So so I got zero base on Tesla, and I'm like, you know, I'm a rich guy. Yep. I got all this other stuff. You know what? I'm going to buy three other stocks. Yes. Uh, and I'll just take that money, and now I'll push that. And now, I, assuming that that calculation qualifies. Yes, hundred percent. So that's what you need. As long as you have diversified pools, even though you have you know some concentrated positions, and you can syndicate them. Like we just did a deal with five thousand shareholders is eight hundred mil conversion, and it's you know it's a wonderful thing because now you can get people out of this this stuck basis in these portfolios. They would love to maybe diversify it or change, but they can't. Because people ain't paying taxes. Well, hey, do I got a solution for you? Let's move all this crap into an ETF, and then we need, you know, we need someone to run it that you all agree to run it. But once it's in the ETF, and now you want to change and move, adapt, no problem. That's also going to be tax free now because now we can use the ETF tax free until such day as you actually take the money out from the. Yes. Day. So what is your? So again, wh- let's assume that my. 25% has zero cost basis. Yep. And the rest is at, I don't, I don't want you to do higher math here, but the rest of it's at yeah. current cost basis. Like there's no gain yeah, of yeah, loss, yeah. right? Yep. I put that in the, we, so, we create this ETF. Yeah. So what so is what my would cost happen, basis? Yeah. So you're going to map what, well, in those exchanges, what happens is the, every single tax lot and every single security gets remapped into ETF share tax lot. So your, your underlying tax structure is no different. Right. In that situation, you you would have 25% would have zero basis lots in the ETF. The 75%, let's just say they're mark to market basis, you, you'd have mark to market basis, which, and then that means like on a, then you just want to hold the ETF because if, if you did a conversion, did this fancy transaction to get into the ETF, and then you're like, ah, just joking, I'm going to sell everything. We're going to have to pay all the tax now. Yeah, you're no better so, off. But the, no better off. Yeah, no better well, off. You're better the off is, is I could sell yeah. half my Tesla now. Yes, and exactly. diversify that, and there's no tax on the Tesla until yes. this time because now, now obviously, we still keep the basis though. Yes, it's a deferral mechanism. They, you're never going to get a step up unless you die from the IRS. Right. There's no this free. There's no free lunch. Just to let everybody no know. Free that. Lunch, <laughs> yes. No free lunch. Yes. 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 Yeah. Unfortunately, you can't do step ups. I wish I knew that, but th- this is well. Actually, there is one in Puerto Rico, but it's another story. Um, yeah. The reality is, what you're going to do is is you're just, it's compounding tax deferred. And as you know, every dollar I don't send to the government today, I get a compound on that money. And and that can be, you know, in a 20 or 30 year horizon, that could be a huge deal. You know, I mean, depending on how active you are, I mean, it could be 100 bips, 200 bips, 300 bips of value every year, just in the tax deferral, you know, depending on your level of activity. Um, BIPs is basis yeah. points, by the way. So 100 oh, basis points. It's yeah. all right. I just I'd like to clarify this because sometimes yeah. people are like, what was that guy talking about? So 100 yeah, BIPs yeah, yeah. is 1%. <laughs> it's like pennies yes. in a dollar. Think of it that way. Yeah, sorry about that. BIPs yeah. is BPS, basis points. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, where is that demarcation point for this to make sense for an individual to do a conversion? Uh, so those deals, million? Is, it, is it, yeah, it's usually, we usually tell people you don't want to do one of those unless it's a, like a 50 mil 
uh, syndication. So it doesn't have to just be you. You could go get, hey, 50 of your rich buddies with a million bucks a pop. And it, you know, then then it starts to make a lot of sense. It's just the problem is ETFs are so much regulatory compliance and legal crap involved is this huge fixed cost, right? You're looking at 200K a year in, you know, operating costs to do all this stuff. Yeah. You know, so on, on 50 mil, you're looking at like a 40 BIPs carry cost on 100 mil, 20 BIPs, you know, and it gets really, really attractive if you have a ton of money, but, or, or you syndicate a big deal, but you wouldn't want to do a deal with like 10 mil because now you're paying 2% just yeah. in the operating cost. That does, is, you know, that's not even management, that's nothing. And then where do you go from there? No, exactly. That's just yeah. to like, to pay some boneheads like us to just do all the monkey work behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, you need scale or you need, you need to be able to syndicate a bunch of your friends together because the, the cost production is the same, whether it's, you know, well, it's effectively the same, whether it's 10,000 people with like a million dollars or just one, you know, billionaire, yeah. it's the cost to do it is the same. So, you know, the idea is you want to get scale if you can't. So, um, so I have two more things I want to kind of pass sure. by you. Um, ETF, discount and premiums, um, pitfalls, mm -hmm. opportunities. You don't see a lot of these in the more efficient, the big ones. It doesn't really happen that yeah. often, but, mm -hmm. and, and the, and the, and the, I don't know, do I, do I call closed end funds early ETFs? Do we say that? I don't know, is that kind of a thing? Yeah, there, I mean, basically an ETF is essentially uh, an IPO every day. And we're, we're, it's a closed end fund where you can actually create and redeem at NAV every day, right? And so that's what prevents, or that's what makes ETFs not have massive discount premium because any single day, if the discount's too big, you're like, great, redeem me at NAV and, and vice versa. Whereas in a closed end fund, you know, as you probably know, it could have a discount of 20, 25%. And you're like, this thing should be worth, you know, $100, not 75. But the problem is there's no way to like get that hundred. Cause, cause the, the company, you can't like say, Hey company, give me a hundred dollars a nav. Cause mm -hmm. they're going to be like, no, I want my management fee instead. So a closed in fund is basically a roach motel. In my opinion, I actually did research on this back in the day. It's a PhD it's you get in cause they're usually rate. They're usually IPO fundraised. You know, the bankers make all the money, you know, it's some great idea. Like this is why this is such a cool thing. And then typically they immediately go to like a 10, 20% discount. And now you're just stuck paying like a bunch of fees to some bonehead. And right, there's the no discount way. Was like, the, the, yeah. the syndication fees, the management fees, yeah, the upfront costs. That's what that was. Oh. It wasn't that yeah, the it's assets insane. were, were, were look, people just make sure you understand. It wasn't like you put in a hundred dollars and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, wow, how quickly the assets went down. No, 10% was absconded <laughs> with to begin exactly. with. You know? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um you know, and obviously that's why you don't see many closed fund launches. Actually, Ackman was going to do it. And it actually, Meb, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. He made a good point. It's, it's like, this guy is clearly out of touch. Like in this day and age, you're going to launch a closed in fund at 2% management fee. Did he back down from that? Wait, did he back down from that? I th I think he did. I, I think I thought it was an ETF it. he was going to do, but okay. No, no, no. It was a, they wanted to do a closed in fund. And then, and then everyone was talking shit on Twitter, including myself, um, where it's like, dude, it's called 21st century. You can deliver that way cheaper, way more tax efficiency in the modern era. It's called an ETF. And then I think I've heard to the great Einhorn have actually, one though. Einhorn has one, right? Yeah. They, they have some legacy ones. So yeah. Pershing they have some had of those a, old, actually had, Pershing, yep. had a, he, wait, Pershing had a tracking the reinsurance. Stock yeah. Yeah. They had a, there was a, they did the reinsurance tax things. Um, but he he just recently wanted to launch like a. I remember in it was like three weeks ago. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm sure some banker whispered in his ear like, oh, we could go raise you a billion dollars right now because you're famous right now. I, I'm, I'm sure that it was one of those deals because, you know, bankers will whisper in your ears with great ideas if if they can make a lot of money on it. Yeah. Um, but I think once they thought about it, they're like, well, actually, maybe not. Uh, I don't know. That's a, T, that's a TBD. But ideally, it's a great idea. Like, it would be wonderful if Acme could deliver his, uh, you know, his capabilities through like an ETF wrapper. It's just, you know, because then he could do it way more tax efficient, lower fee and transparently. But, you know, if I'm charging two and 20 on billions of dollars, why would I do that? So, I mean, I don't I don't know if we're ever going to see that anytime. I soon. would I would I would highly doubt that. Highly. Doubt uh, yeah. That. Assuming he's rational uh, and likes making money. Uh, yeah. I don't know why he'd want to enter. And you also have other ETF issues. Business. If he's going to do it as a tracking, as a way to do it. So let the average yep. guy in. It, it mm -hmm. seems like you get all sorts of compliance issues that will be just a nightmare, just a nightmare oh, yeah. compared to a hedge yes. fund. You you know what I'm talking about, what they're oh, doing yeah. inside a hedge fund versus what you're doing in an, ET, in an ETF for the average yes. Joe. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. No, we, we have a few managers that run hedge funds and ETFs on our platform. And you're right. The compliance manual is like a thousand pages thick. Uh, just to manage all the conflicts of interest and issues you got to sort yeah. out. The other thing I want to ask you was um, clones. So mm -hmm. offline, we talked about this for a second, though. Mm -hmm. There's a few different mutual fund companies that now have clones, they call it, which was yep. always a bad word back in the day. Yeah. But clones of their fixed income. One of the problems is mm -hmm. with ETFs, they don't have track records. So much, not, yeah. all, not all, but, but some. Mm -hmm. Particularly in the fixed income area, right? There's only a few of these fixed income um, components, yeah. very few active. And everybody knows, I think, that's done the research. We've done the research. You know, mm -hmm. it's, 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 if you think about it, fixed income can have a much greater, it, it's, it, the fixed income market is much less efficient than the stock market. And yes. therefore pricing could be who knows what. As a matter of fact, yeah. I've always told clients, you know, would you rather be a stockbroker or a bond broker? You know, that me commission. So like, I don't mm -hmm. want a stockbroker. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Bonds. Bond. Bond. Why yes. is that? They say to me, because you never, the, the client never knows what they're paying. Yes. Right? So 100%. So fundamentally, bonds people are generally way smarter than equity people, which is how they've maintained this crazy ass backwards, like 1980s infrastructure where there's no transparency and a few people, banks control the information and flow on bonds, right? It's the cost of, of transacting is just enormous. And that means all the best players in that space are the biggest. Like if I'm PIMCO, fundamentally, I'm getting first look on every deal because I have the biggest commission book. It just is what it is, right? They were smart to protect themselves from digitization and transparency like the equity guys did. That's why you don't see anyone talking about how proud they have their nice uh, seat anymore because it's worthless, mm -hmm. right? Bond people and the trade folks behind the scenes were much smarter on that. And, and that fundamentally is a, is a key reason, I think, why it makes ETFs such a challenge. One, the ETFs don't bring a lot of tax benefit, which is the primary benefit of an ETF wrapper, because most of bonds return is income. ETFs can do nothing for you with respect to income tax minimization. It's just the same. And all that they do is bolt on this uh, onerous capital markets component, where now you have to buy and sell through like a market maker, who then has got to deliver us the, the bonds, and the liquidity requirements are much more higher. Whereas if I'm in a mutual fund and someone gives me a million dollars, 
you know, I can just sit around and go wait for the best bond, wait for the dealer to show up. Who's distressed. Wait for the like, ETF that has to do a forced sellout. Wait for, yeah, exactly. Whereas the <laughs> ETF, I mean, they, they, now do, nowadays they do a lot more cash creates, they're called, where, where, the, where the ETFs are trying to like incorporate some of the, the, the liquidity flexibility that come with mutual funds. But it's just, I just don't think it's ever going to be as simple and clean and frictionless as the mutual fund or like an LP or just an, a managed account because ETFs just have this bolted on apparatus, which is amazing for equities and the, and the tax benefits are incredible. It makes total sense in the world. They're way more liquid, but bonds to your point, just fundamentally like trading QSIPs, like, like the, you know, the tickers on the bonds or whatever, you know, it's, everything's a call by appointment. It, you know, it's like yeah, you go yeah, on yeah. the screen yeah, yeah, yeah. and you see the bid ask yeah, yeah. and it's like, you request can buy a quote, billion here and there. quote. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that just fundamentally is, you know, ETFs are all about tax efficiency, transparency, and low cost. But the transparency component requires liquidity. You need to have baseline liquidity so people can make clean markets and transact in and out of this stuff you're trying to trade. And that's just bonds just don't operate on that program. Yeah, the problem is that the research I've done always edged mm -hmm. out to the active managing in fixed income. And yes. versus ETFs in a mutual fund. Yep. And and the problem yep. is again, uh, you know, how much you know, how much is that going to stay an edge and taxation flows, especially mm -hmm. with bonds, right? With with the income yeah. uh flows. You don't get a lot mm -hmm. of you don't get a lot of income income flow from uh ETFs on that. I mean you'll get some, you'll get a dividend yeah. and all that. But mm -hmm. all I'm saying is, you know, you have to wonder and scratch your head and, and say, you know what, the, the, there's no cost, there's very little cost internally. If it edges yeah. out, we're talking about net on net, of course, edging out. How much of that yes. is really going to matter if, in fact, there is enough good quality range of fixed? I'm focusing just on fixed income here. Um, yes, and that's a, that's a question we've been asking ourselves, and we we we, yeah. we struggle with. I I think you have competition on your side, and this has been a known problem for a long time. And it every day it gets better and better because there's so many competitive forces, and now even the big bond complexes are just thrown in the town being like, all right, we got to figure out how to do this with an ETF. So I think all of these, this frictional cost that has historically been there, which I think is driven a lot of the spread. There's also like arguments about like credit risk and other things, but let's just assume they're exactly the same. It's no doubt there's been higher frictional cost to deal with like an ETF versus a mutual fund in fixed income specifically. Mm -hmm. But I do think those barriers of entry are coming down or coming down quick because clients are demanding the ETF version. And so there's a lot of people that are like, well, it's not as good. And they're like, we don't care. We want it. And so, you know, anytime there's demand and there's competition, you know, people will solve to figure out how to create and deliver value. And yeah. I think we're in that phase right now. I mean, from a trading standpoint, let me just throw something out at you. I mean, I, I'm going to get sure. really wonky here and, and geeky either. You trade during the day for a client. You decide you want to swap mm -hmm. out of one thing into another. I'm moving yeah. from uh, fixed income into equities or into equities into fixed income. I don't care what it is. And you have mm -hmm. one and you have a mismatch now on timing. Yes. Not a big deal, but a mismatch. You have yep. a 1030 a.m. buy and you have the mutual fund that sells at 4 p.m. Yeah. Wait a minute. Market drops 2% during the day. And you're like, yep. okay, you know what? I thought we were going to get a little bit more, or it bettered us. But it could go either way, right? It could, yeah. It could, it could, yeah. It could, it could actually benefit the client, or it could be a detractor. But my point yeah. is, who needs that aggravation? 
You know, no, I agree. And, and you just have massive shortfall risk and trading risk. So yes, I mean, that's fundamentally why like people smartly are re requesting and almost demanding that they do this in an ETF and figure out how to make it have equal performance to the mutual fund brethren. And it, like to your point though, it hasn't historically been there, but I think we are inching towards that moment when entrepreneurs and the big bond houses will solve this. Maybe there's like whatever, a few BIP edge that the ETFs are never going to be able to overcome, but it's, at least it's not 50 BIPs. And, and to your point, like, let's call it like, let's say they get it to five BIPs frictional cost, just for assumptions mm -hmm. case. Well, five basis points, but now I can risk, I can do intraday risk management. It's super easy to trade. Like it just cleans better up taxation, everything else. taxation issues. Yeah, yeah, better taxation at the margin. Well, now it's a no brainer. Whereas at 50 bips, well, I got to keep doing this damn mutual fund. And I think we're going to get there if we're not already approaching that point here already. It does, it does, seem, it does seem to me that, that, that the hub and spoke process that mutual funds put together with utilizing retail versus mm -hmm. institutional, um, even yep. back end, front end, no end loads and yep. things like that. You would almost think that they could just set up another bucket and say that yeah. is uh, uh, wall gardened, right? From... Yeah. The, 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 well, the and, and the big challenge is, you know, because I see this all the time being on the tippy spear of the ETF business is there's a lot of legacy businesses that like, it's kind of like they're running their two and 20 hedge fund, or they got this like hundred billion dollar bond fund that charges 60 bips. And they're like, man, if we go do the ETF, right, now right. we're going to have to lower the fee. It's going to be more brain damage. I got to hire new employees there. And they just, who wants to do that? Right. So there's this also this friction of change, which a lot of big, sh like imagine if you're making billions of dollars on the current status quo, you know, the last thing in the world you want to do is adapt unless clients force you to. And so that's why these things just always happen a lot slower than you might think they should in like a perfectly competitive marketplace. Yeah. You know, it just is what it is. That's the nature of how capitalism works. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, Good but stuff. we're going to get there in a few years, I think. I would hope so. Wesley Gray from Alpha Architect, plus a variety of other things. Uh, I want to thank you yeah. so much. Tell people where to get information and where to go and what to do. Yeah. So uh, if you want to geek out on factors or talk ETFs and that stuff, alphaarchitect.com. If, if you're interested in starting an ETF or you got $50 million and you could do a tax-free conversion, you would go to etfarchitect.com. Uh, that's the infrastructure business. So those are the two main places to, to hit us up. Good stuff. I appreciate it. Listen, we'll, we'll get together next time you're in Miami. Let me know a little bit uh, sooner and we can maybe hook up. <laughs> yeah. Likewise, if you uh, if you come further south to Puerto Rico. All right. Uh, Love that place. I'll be here. What was that great yeah. hotel that I used to go to the uh, on the coast there? The... Uh, is it Was it out east? Maybe Conquistador? Yeah, the Conquistador, There's... where they yeah. spritz you with Evian and they bring around... These beautiful uh, the, on the on the edge of the cliff, you get a massage. Oh, I love that place. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love yeah. That place. Unfortunately, Maria killed that, but yeah. they just uh, actually reopened about six months ago, and it's beautiful. It's not it's not what it was. It's probably about 90 percent away there, but it's it's pretty dang good. And yeah, high recommend. They got that private little island they boat you out yeah. to. You, know, if you, you take remember the funicular that. down and you go on the Yeah, yeah, island. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, my kids love that yeah. thing, man. So by um, the way, if anybody hasn't been to Puerto Rico, I will tell you the whole entire ride from downtown to the Conquistadors is, is, is a road along the coast, I believe it is, right? All the way, all the yep. way up. To, yep, and exactly. if you need something fixed in your car, 
the air conditioning, the radiator, the guy, the brakes, the there are like three thousand car little little car shops. Well, at least yeah. when, I, when I went, there was at least. <laughs> oh no, they still have them. Proletaria, uh, they call those. Uh, yeah, it's just like auto shops, auto parts, tire. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I, yeah, it's. I don't know how they all stay in business, man. Um, but they, it's still the same. Hasn't yeah. changed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. All right. Well, thanks so much, Wes, for joining. Cool. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, Andrew. Thanks. Sounds good. Another amazing conversation as. At least I think it was. I, I Sometimes I think I get more out of this than my listeners do, which is why, by the way, a lot of times I'm going to make sure that my my guests will, you know, take the, the jargon down a little bit. And that's why we went over some of those acronyms today to go over what's happening. So thanks to Wes to uh, bring in all that for us. Great information, just a, a powerhouse of, of just knowledge. So that was just wonderful. Anyway, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me this week, every week. I appreciate you uh, being there for me. I will be there for you as well. Remember my PSA, go out and find that financial coach, that dietitian for your finance to make sure that they can help you get to where you need to be. That's what it's all about. And that's why we're learning everything we can on the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Go over, check it out over on thedisciplinedinvestor.com for show notes and other information as well. Thank you so much. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.